Welcome to the pilot episode of the Solve for Luck podcast, where we connect with successful engineers and designers to hear the stories of how they got to where they are in their careers and learn from the defining moments that helped get them there. I'm your host, Derek DeSange, and I started this podcast to help you shape a fulfilling and meaningful career. Whether you're a new grad or someone looking for their next role, the best advice and mentorship can be found in the stories of others. Today on the show, I'm joined by Ryan Walker. Walker is a good friend of mine and one of the most creative engineers I know. Currently, Walker works as an embedded firmware engineer at Facebook Reality Labs, working on some of the world's most advanced augmented reality technologies. Throughout the podcast, we talk about what it was like to start his first company, interviewing at Facebook, and the importance of genuine relationships throughout your career. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Walker. Thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. I know just through all the projects we've worked on, you have one of the most creative and hands-on energies of all the people I know. So I think the audience is going to learn a lot from you. Oh, wow. Thank you. Very, very nice. Very nice of you to say. I'm stoked to be here. When you, when I am originally, you were talking about making this podcast, uh, I remember you pitched it and I I just remember like the way your voice sounded. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a sick idea. Like, don't, don't waste your time thinking about if it's a good idea. Like might as well just do it. I appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, I know you very well, but people listening may not. So I hope you could start by introducing yourself and telling us what drives you. Absolutely. First things first, my name's Brian Walker. Uh, I go by my last name, which is just Walker. Um, that's, uh, from a long history of basically going to school and there being way too many Ryans around, uh, they're overcrowding the place. So, um, so right now I work for a little company. You probably haven't heard of them. They're called Facebook. Um, it's uh, a. <laughs> I actually I work for. I like to tell people I work for Oculus. Um, but uh, yeah, I work for Oculus. I'm um, I'm a firmware engineer type of guy. I do. Uh, Basically, for people that might not know, um, firmware is software that runs on embedded devices. So, uh, chips and processors that are kind of embedded into a product. I don't, I don't make apps. Um, I can't make your mom a website. Uh, sorry, mom. <laughs> I, uh, I do mainly C, C++, and then, um, you know, Python for post-processing, things like that. Yeah. And this is for oculus or facebook's ar vr product line is that right yes that's that's correct that's yeah. really cool yeah i'm um, yeah i'm on the ar division specifically i don't i don't touch much vr but that's cool and is is there stuff that you can talk about in terms of what you're working on uh honestly not really it's ar you got to <laughs> kind of use your imagination on that one but <laughs> there we go yeah but maybe we'll dive into the type of work that you do and the, and the stuff that you fill your time with in your role. Um, you said you work in embedded. Uh, so is this um, on the device? Can you describe maybe a little bit more about where your code goes and what it might be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, um, I guess loosely speaking, not necessarily related to uh, my current role. Um, embedded systems people write uh, typically real-time uh real-time code that has to meet a certain deadlines to, to do some specific function. So the most extreme example of that would be um, the processor running on, um, say, a rocket that needs to do things in a very specific sequence and um, get sensor, sensor data at very specific times and react to them in a, a very specific amount of time um, and without having any, any possible congestion or non-deterministic um, basically amounts of amounts of time for for things to go go astray um yeah and that's kind of the real time aspect of it um which is one one big thing of a a, what what i enjoy doing and and kind of b what i'm I'm good at um and then the the other side of it is um kind of embedded embedded linux stuff so this is not not necessarily real time um applications you know linux is a, a time sliced operating system well, it's a kernel actually, but you know the, the operating system sits on top of it, and uh, this is something where basically it's you know it's like a phone. Things happen when they happen, 
Um, and uh, yeah, so that would be kind of, might be more user level interaction or higher level, say like network stacks, um, web hosting, different, different, mm -hmm. you know, different stuff like that, you know, but uh, so pretty low level coding. Yeah. So the, the, yeah, the real time stuff is like very low level, like dealing with device drivers um, and uh, pretty stuff. That's pretty quick. Like it happens, it happens quite fast dealing with a lot of interrupts, um, which are basically um, external events that may, effectively interrupt the execution of code. Um, yeah, real-time operating systems, context switching, stuff like that. So you work in a very low-level firmware coding environment. Did you always know that code is what you wanted to work on? Is coding something that has always been a part of your life, or what got you into this? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've always been, I guess I would consider myself to be, you know, my, my current role is very um, firmware software focused. Um, but previous roles have been um, electrical engineering focus as well. And uh, ever since I was uh, quite young, I've always enjoyed uh, working with, or not working with, but at least taking apart um, electronics and trying to figure out what the hell is going on inside of them. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I was very fortunate in the, in the fact that I knew I actually had a pretty good idea um, growing up uh, what, I, what I wanted to do. And I kind of just, just took it from there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think very many people have that. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> people want to be astronauts and paleontologists when they're kids, but I mean, nobody actually does that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. But um, at, at what stage do you think it was clear to you? And what, what did you know growing up, whether that's through your teenage years or as a child, taking things apart? Was it, I want to, to build things like this? Or was it, was it even more specific? Did you have some exposure to coding really early on that got you inspired? So, yeah, when I was, when I was young, um, like I, I grew up in the, basically the 90s. Well, I was very young in the 90s. And then kind of, um, you know, in the 2000s, I was, I guess that would have been uh, teen years. But uh, yeah, I, I did teach myself kind of HTML, but nothing, nothing really past that. Um, at the time... Like, I mean, I think maybe Python would have been around possibly um, in the early 2000s, but I didn't know how to find it. I didn't know, you know, I just I remember trying to teach myself C, and that's quite a hard thing to learn when you're 12 years old. Taking a step into your university years, I suppose, what what did you study, and, and what was that sort of first convergence out of, out of uh, high school into university of, okay, this is what I want to focus on, and this is what I want to pursue as a career? Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, so I went to um, BCIT, uh, people that don't know, that's British Columbia Institute of Technology. Um, probably more well-known for the trade trade side of the school, but they have a, an engineering side as well. Engineering business, kind of, it's kind of, it's a, you know, technical college type of place. Um, and I remember I was kind of looking around uh, for kind of what I wanted to do. And at the time, actually, from probably grade 10 to grade 12, is when I became very interested in photography and videography and editing and things mm. like that. Yeah. So, so this was kind of, you know, previous to that, I was super interested in computers, but I, I think I, I almost hit a ceiling in a point where it's like, well, you know, I, I can't really learn to code because at the time it was too hard for me. Um, and I didn't have any guidance. So, um, but I had this one high school teacher, the photography teacher who, um, really um, put a lot of pri uh, kind of emphasis on uh, teaching students to build things that are, are you know, have value. Um, and uh, he was getting me into uh, photography competitions. Um, and I, you know, I won some of them and I was winning money and I was selling some of my work. Um, so at the time um, I'm like, I, I basically had, I was looking at going to Emily Carr. And I got a scholarship to Emily Carr as well, actually. Um, and I was thinking like, you know, and Emily Carr, it's an art school for people I might not know. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a private uh, school. Like it's not government assisted funding. So it's very expensive if you want to go to Emily mm -hmm. Carr, especially for, and it was a four year program. And um, at the time, my parents, you know, they never would tell me not to do something um, or... Uh, you know, try, try to dissuade me, but 
they definitely kind of guided me more towards um, the <laughs> engineering just because like photography is a fucking hard way to make a living. Like you're working very hard and I mean, it's yeah. And the type of photography that makes, you can make like, you know, good amounts of money and it's kind of wedding photography and other things like that, that I'm not super uh, like, I like landscape photography and I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, anyway, it's just a hard, it's it's a hard way to make a living. So so, anyways, I w- I had these kind of two possible <laughs> career paths. One, and they're not related at all. Very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Like, very stark contrast. Highly technical. Highly. Uh, yeah, highly creative. creative. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Emily Carr four-year program scholarship acquired, or the kind of BCIT, and this was a two-year robotics program. And uh, yeah, I, I ended up I ended up choosing the I ended up choosing the VCIT um, route, and I think yeah now like where I am right now I'm I'm definitely glad I kind of chose that. Um, yeah, that that program basically turbocharged. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I was I knew I knew C, um, which which was huge. The, there wasn't a C plus um, course in that program. Um, but I knew C and I knew how to do like electrical design. Um, you know, I knew like, I knew a whole bunch of stuff. So immediately after I graduated, I started, that's when I started my own kind of personal projects. Um, and I've been doing, been doing that stuff ever since. Normally I have kind of at least one, one project going, um, whether or not it's kind of analog or embedded systems or, or, um, or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, I think after I graduated, I was I started looking around for work. I was living in living in Burnaby at the time with with um, a couple of roommates, and they were all we were all in the same program together. Um, and yeah, basically it's kind of a weird place to be because you just graduate, and all of a sudden it's like oh, shit, like I got to pay rent, um, and everyone's in the same boat. We were all there, like all right, so what do we do for work, you know? Um, and, uh, so we were all kind of applying for at one point, like it's when like your first job is the hardest job to get. Um, well, for me, it was anyways. I, I mean, I imagine it's the same for everybody else. Like when everyone's looking at resumes, they're like, well, what is your previous work experience? Like, I don't have, I worked at a golf course before. Like I don't have any previous yeah. work experience. <laughs> Um, so you had no, cause I know some, some people do, whether it's personal projects or student teams or any of this, when you'd graduated, did you have any technical work experience? So yeah. Anything that you would put on the resume? So yeah. What did I put on the resume? Um, BCIT. Yeah. They don't have a co-op program really just mm-hmm. cause it's only two years. Right. Um, so yeah, there's nothing like that. And I think I probably, there weren't any student teams. Like we were pretty slammed for the whole two years. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you kind of just on your resume, you put as much crap as you can, as far as like stuff that you learn, you don't even know what's relevant. It's like, I don't know. We did this like VHDL, blah, 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 whatever thing. I don't, I don't even know what that is. There's letters that mean something, but like, no, you just put whatever you can, like Rockwell, PLC, blah, blah, blah. And hopefully people are willing to kind of give you a job. And the first job you get, it's, you're not going to get paid very much. I mean, I don't know. For me, it was like, not very much. (laughs) I think it was just a little bit more than minimum wage. Yeah. So you're coming out of school with, with a green resume. Yeah. You're clearly, clearly driven. You've had some experience doing code in the past. You love working on your own projects. Rent's coming up. (laughs) Yeah. So like talk me through what that period was like when you, when you were looking for a job, how long did you spend were you applying to everything? Were you really particular? Did you have a dream job in mind? Um, so my dream job was not having to call my mom um, and get money for rent. Uh, <laughs> and like, no, dream job? No, I was not thinking about that. If I could get any job that was even remotely close to engineering or, you know, that had even a little, like 10% of it was engineering, I'm like, let's do it. And that's that's what I got. I ended up working in... Um, I ended up working in uh, for a company called Bow. Uh, I won't give the name, but it's a it was a prosthetics company um, close by, and and they it was a smaller company. You know, I don't know three or four people, 
and I basically did, so there was engine, it made me like, you know, 10 to 20% of the job was, was proper engineering. You know, I did some SolidWorks, I did, um, embedded systems. Uh, I wrote code for like a PIC microcontroller, um, and they built 3d scanners and CNC milling machines used in the prosthetics industry. Um, and the rest of the job was kind of, uh, it was like, I was like machining parts with CNC machines and like putting screws into holes and whatnot and wrenching stuff together. I think you have one of the coolest roles right now working at Oculus, working on AR, really cutting edge stuff. And it seems like you've honed in your focus of what you're interested in, what you excel at. How did you go from, you know, (laughs) ideal job being not calling mom for rent money to what I think a lot of people would look at is extremely successful in your career working on some of the coolest tech in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the short answer to that is connections. Hmm. And I guess I can talk about how, how that ended up playing out. So I worked at this company and this, this company was cool. Like it was, it was a cool job, you know, like I was stoked cause I'm, I'm also, I enjoy building things, things with my hands um, and being kind of hands-on. So I enjoyed like running milling machines and running CNC machines and, um, and doing, doing all this stuff and kind of writing code for these things and actually selling product. Like we made these things in house, probably to a greater extent than we even needed to make them in house. And then they would go out the door and money would come in. And And at this point, it's still a small team. There's still, I think you had said three or four people. There was me and a programmer and a machinist, but then the machinist quit. So all of a sudden I was just the machinist, which is like very weird because I'm like, I should not be operating. Like they had a plasma cutter there which is like, <laughs> it's basically like a lightsaber. <laughs> For some reason, I was just allowed to use that and like had to use that. But I mean, anyways, yeah, no, it was, it was a super small team. This is in just doing the end product design and engineering. Like how big was the company as a whole? Oh, like four people. Okay. So you, this is like the, the, the true startup after university journey where you're working in this tiny team and, and just trying to make things work. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that, then I worked there for, I don't know, a year and a bit. And then I got a call from, uh, actually, no, it was my roommate at the time. He's like, hey, man, like, and one of the guys that we graduated with was working at this company that did um, uh, automation stuff, sawmill automation stuff. And he's like, hey, man, like, my company's hiring. You guys want jobs. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, it would be rad. Like, these are the, you know, three people that I graduated with. And we can all go work at this company together. Like, it sounds like a blast. Um, we, I interviewed there and, you know, I had one job on my resume and all of a sudden I'm making, uh, you know, a little bit more money. It wasn't, wasn't, you know. Were you looking for work at this time? Had you? No. How long had you spent no, at the wasn't. prosthetics? A year, year and a bit. Reasonably happy there, I presume? Like, you weren't looking for, for work? Yeah, I mean... I was, yeah, I was, the thing about going to school for two years is I was like 18 working there at the time. <laughs> I wasn't even old enough that's to like vote or I couldn't drink. I don't think I could vote. I mean, I don't know how old you have to be to vote in this country, but um, anyways. Okay. So, so may call, you're not looking for a new job. Uh, you got about a year and a half of experience, some of which is engineering, some of which is sort of machine shop type work. A friend calls you, and it just sounds like a cool opportunity to work with, with some friends that you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I interviewed there, and um, it, it's, it, was, it was like, it was a bit more of a company, you know? There were like 30 people working there, and it, uh, it was a bit more than the three-person shop. And I, you know, this was all, all, this was all engineering. I wasn't doing any hands-on stuff, except for, of course, um, you know, we built a lot of panels. Like, I didn't build the panels, but, you know, we'd have to debug them and whatnot. And when I say panels, I mean um, uh, electrical panels. So this would be something that would be installed uh, in inside of a sawmill. It's basically like a giant PCB, um, but with physical wires. And yeah, we we me and my me and my buddy, which was my roommate at the time, and our other friend were all working there. Um, and we, they were sending us like all around the world. Like I was in Ireland, my buddy was was in Australia. Um, we were going all over the U.S., like North Carolina, South Carolina, you know like California. We, this company didn't actually design the equipment. They, they did a lot of retrofits. So basically a sawmill would buy a big piece of machinery from some other sawmill and install it. And, you know, these things were covered with sensors and servo motors and 
um, tons of stuff. And all the old controls, which is basically the computer that runs the machine, would all be all be from like the 80s and none of it would run. So they would then hire us to design a new control system for it, design the panel, and then show up on site and um, do all write all the code for this thing. Um, and then basically get it sparked up and get it running. And So how long would these deployments be? Like, presumably you're there until it works. Oh, yeah, it was a very stressful job. Um, it was super stressful, and it was all all people that were always kind of yelling at you and things, and it was always your fault, you know? It was never like, oh, the millwright did so. No, no, it was always the controls person's fault because <laughs> they're the one controlling the You know, if, if the thing wasn't, you know, bolted on quite right and it flew off, it's like, oh, well, the controls probably <laughs> had something to do with that. See where the like, scapegoat, wherever yeah. you went. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you always come in at the 11th hour as well. Completely, when things need to get done. So were you spending days there, weeks there? Sometimes months. I was in Ireland for nearly two months trying to get machines working there. And they sent me to Ireland for my birthday and New Year's. They expected (laughs) to get this fucking thing running? I was, like, hungover most of the time. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was also very stressful. You know, like you can, it's, there's not very, you know, if I screw up code on something that I'm working on now, the, you know, little smoke comes out, you know, the ICs or whatever, who cares? Here you're talking about, you know, at least tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage if you crash one of these things, especially when you account for the downtime of the machine. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was fun. To work together but uh and at, at this time i actually started taking uh more classes i was going to school part-time because i wanted to be an engineer at this time i was just a technologist um and uh you know i knew i didn't think after doing that enough you know i i, I knew i didn't want to to do that stuff uh long term just because i still at the time my all my side projects were all it was all uh pcbs embedded stuff you know and that's, that's what I was interested in. That's what I wanted to work on. That's what I wanted to excel in. So how long were you at that uh, sawmill automation company? I want to say two two years or maybe one and a half years, something like that. What prompted you to leave? Um, well, I, I think, I think me, and my, me, and my, me and my two buddies that worked there, we were kind of getting a little bit fed up. One, the amount of travel. Um, Two, maybe the kind of kind of uh, lower wages, um, and I mean, for me personally, I don't I don't think those guys, but for me personally, it was the type of work. Like this was this was a PLC programming job, and um, I I uh, I was okay at it, but I wasn't I wasn't passionate about PLC programming personally, um, and I uh, I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, um, so I. Uh, yeah, I was I was kind of get kind of getting. I was the first to go. How'd you find your next role? Craigslist, okay. Not not often, but place people often go to for looking for jobs. How did that happen? I was trying to buy a Hack RF one, actually. So a Hack RF one is a SDR software defined radio, and um, it uh, basically. I mean, I won't get too much into it, but if it's an it's an FPGA with an antenna, and it samples in the data at like full data rate, so it can go up to like very high, like five, six gigahertz or something like that. So you can then kind of you know you can demultiplex or sorry demodulate in software and do all kinds of cool stuff. It's a cool it's a cool piece of technology. I think it's open source. The great sauce, great Scott gadgets or something developed it. But anyway, so I, I Google Hack RF one on uh, Craigslist and I stumble upon uh, this ad for a job and it says they're looking for a hack and slash engineer. And this was, this was Misty West, um, which is an engineering consulting company in, in Vancouver. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, I'm like, actually, this looks like a rad job. Um, and I kind of look at them, I'm like, I got like kind of a cool website and like, and, um, yeah, I applied and I, I got the interview. That's a funny story, actually. So I got there. I was so keen about this job. 
but I got there like 30 minutes early and I'm not going to show up 30 minutes early like a nerd. <laughs> so I, um, I sit outside, there's kind of a park across the street. So I brought my book. I think I was reading like ready player one at the time or something. Um, and I brought my book and I was just lying in the grass and reading it. And, uh, then, you know, 30 minutes lapses and I, I go into the front and then I, I see, uh, basically walk to the front door and everyone's kind of sitting at this big table. I'm like, okay, this already looks cool. Like this table looks cool and everyone looks cool and everything seems cool about it. <laughs> and, and the, I was being interviewed by, uh, the basically at the time, um, uh, mechanical, uh, pretty much kind of head mechanical engineer and the head electrical engineer. And I remember the, the EE comes down and he just looks at me and they're both kind of looking at me and he goes, Oh, I see you brought a little friend. And I just like deadpan looked at him. And for whatever reason, I just said, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it turns out that when I was lying in the grass, a, like a leaf got in my hair. Cause I got long hair. Right. And yeah, yeah. there was a caterpillar eating the leaf. <laughs> I ended up and I ended up doing the rest of the interview with a caterpillar eating a leaf in my hair. Which is like, and you, and you have no idea, and they thought you intentionally brought this caterpillar. Yeah, which I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I know. Anyways, so so clearly the interview still went okay enough for you to, well, <laughs> for, for you to have gotten the job. Well, I was full confident. I had no idea there was a caterpillar in my hair. You know, like I'm not a psycho. I don't have a pet caterpillar that lives in my hair. Um. But yeah, yeah, anyways, and then uh, there was the first interview, and then I actually had a second interview, and that's where I met you. You you weren't, yeah. Yeah. And um, and I'm um, like, damn, like, this is an awesome company. And I was telling my friends. and What was the role at Misty West? Was it, you'd come from a background of, I guess, machine shop type work, and then some PLC automation. Was it in a similar vein, or what were you working on at Misty West? No, totally different. So I did a little bit at this PLC job. I did a little bit of circuit board design and layout and testing and stuff because we kind of needed some custom stuff to, to basically build with these machines. Um, but the, yeah, the Misty West work was, um, it was kind of firmware electrical engineering. And, you know, that was my, that was my, that was my dream to work, to work on that type of stuff. And I was incredibly fortunate to get that, you know, that opportunity. Um, and I met some of the, some of the most incredible people there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's you, did you have a portfolio outside of the PLC work that sort of allowed you to get this this job? I heard you mention earlier that you were working on personal projects on the side, PCB designs, embed, embedded stuff. Was that more aligned to what they were looking for and do you think that's what got you in the door? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, um at this time, you know, I've been out of school for 3 or 4 years now. And I've been working on um, tons of kind of my own, like I, I actually kind of launched my own product, which was like a restaurant pager buzzer thing um, and like several other kind of portfolio pieces, um, you know, that I, that I was working on in my free time. And, and yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that definitely was better than nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like, working on having having personal projects definitely shows definitely shows uh motivation and passion um, if not anything else yeah know? i'd agree with that 100 percent. yeah that those side projects or at least in applicants that I'd, I'd be reviewing or for roles that i'm hiring for um, those personal projects count for so much and not because you know it shows that they're extracurricular and do things on the side but it's an expression of what this person really likes working on, what really excites them and what they thrive in doing. Yeah. And I find that that's a, a great use of time at any stage in your career to have those side projects to hone your skills, to uh, explore a little bit more. And uh, clearly it sounds like those side projects are really what helped you um, transition out of that industrial automation stuff into more embedded uh, embedded Linux based electronics. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, no, hundred percent. Like that was the, I mean, I had, as far as work experience, like I didn't have a ton, a ton of stuff as far as, uh, you know, embedded systems, PCB design. Like I had a little bit, 
but um, yeah, no, that was definitely it was it was all the stuff I was doing on on the side. Yeah. I, I want to hear a bit more about these projects, especially that you said you had launched a product, which was a, a restaurant buzzer. So can you give us maybe a, a flavor for the types of projects on the side that you had worked on and then how you turned, I guess, this restaurant buzzer into a, into a side business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, the flavor of projects, like I don't have like a necessarily like a clear uh, like mission statement, you know that companies have it's kind of just like whatever i randomly think up of and think of that will you know provide value to people um and the restaurant buzzer idea actually this was a this was a product i was the co co creator kind of this with the um with a the software developer at the um the prosthetics company the first company i worked for oh cool Um, okay yeah and he he was in the restaurant industry he owned his own restaurant um and he said, uh, basically, his problem was he wanted a button that you could push at a table and to basically alert the server, which obviously exists, but he claimed they all looked like crap. <laughs> They're kind of like little plastic things that you tape to the wall or whatever. Um, so we ended up develop- developing a product called PageUp, which was a restaurant paging system that used, um, uh, it was bamboo... Uh, they looked pretty nice. They were they were actually boxes, um, so you could put salt and pepper shakers or you know soy sauce packets or whatever else the restaurant wanted to put inside these things. And um, there was basically just one button on the thing, and you would push it, and it would send. A, it used a kind of Zigbee style of radio that mm-hmm. would send data back to kind of a base station, and that would then push that onto the cloud, and then all the servers could get that on you know smartwatches, cell phones. Uh, tablets whatever like we were pretty um pretty agnostic as to what uh what medium they wanted to use to receive the pages um yeah and we kind of built and sold that for a little bit uh which was a pretty big learning experience that was a very low power device um something that needed to be able to you know survive on one double a battery for kind of years ended up kind of doing that so that that was my first kind of end-to-end Thing that I built that could eventually be deployed and kind of sold. And we sold that to, I don't know, several restaurants um, mm-hmm. and they, they seem to like it. Yes. But I mentioned learning a lot on the technical side. I imagine you learned a ton equally on the business side on what goes into making a product, what goes into pitching that. Oh yeah. Was that stuff that you were exposed to it? Was it just you and the software developer as partners? Yeah. Or did you have other people in the business to help out? No, it was just us two, uh, two engineers, which is like the greatest failure of a business <laughs> to just have two people that have no idea of anything about sales, marketing, whatever, you know? And did, did, did your, this uh, software developer partner have any experience in, in business or selling a product? You said he owned a restaurant. Oh, right. Yeah. So he owned a restaurant and he actually sold, um, he sold point of sale machines where he wrote the software for point of sale machines, like something that would exist in, um, a restaurant where they have the big screen and they punch in the order. And then that sends the data to the the little, uh, the interact money machine thing, and then would print off receipts and then put the order back to the kitchen, blah, 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 et cetera. Um, so at the time I'm like, well, this guy is perfect. You know, like we, I could do the engineering on the electronics. He could do yeah. the kind of sales mm-hmm. and right. He knows the industry. Exactly. Knows the industry. So we're like, we're, this thing's going to go gangbusters. Right. But restaurants don't really have any money, <laughs> which is, which is like, it's, it's restaurants don't have any money. Like it's a thing. That's a hard industry to be in, you know? Um, what were the biggest things you learned from that experience? Well, sales and marketing are a thing. Like, just because you can engineer the thing, that doesn't really matter. It's like, for some reason, it's like, for some reason, because people think that engineering school is hard, they, like, look down on other things. Like, oh, well, we can do all the sales, and we can do all the marketing, and the business. Like, <laughs> yeah, we could figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we could figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. <laughs> like, yeah, very much no. Um, yeah. Okay, so you've, you've gotten into, I think... What it sounds like is a lot more exciting for you at Misty West. You're working on embedded projects. You're working on yeah. electronics. What type of work did you do at Misty West? Whole bunch of crazy shit. 
we did yeah underwater life-saving devices um yeah we worked on that one together um yeah and then got into like uh, polar bear trackers um uh and then um you know i did an electron micro electron electronics and firmware for an electron microscope um a fridge we did a fridge uh, like a novel fridge to be used in third world countries that was like super high efficiency um, electronics for that type of stuff that kind of solar powered um, uh, I did a, a device uh, the firmware for device that basically like runs current through humans brains um, it was like a research tool for people that have Parkinson's disease so a lot of really diverse stuff. Oh, yeah, like. all over the place. But, I, I mean, it was all embedded. You know, it was all kind of, you know, when you say the applications are diverse, it doesn't necessarily mean anything because of the core of the thing. You have a microcontroller and some really fast code that basically is doing a bunch of tasks, the real-time operating system, and things with sensors. Um, the application level stuff is, you know, can be totally different. But Was it a challenge adapting to that environment based on your previous jobs? Oh, absolutely. In terms of learning and getting up to speed. Yeah. So I went from this, this job where I was with, you know, like my friends from, um, my friends from college, um, where I was very comfortable with PLC programming and, um, to a job where I knew nobody and everybody was so like very, very bright. And I just, I felt like very huge imposter syndrome, um, yeah, to the point where I was, I was stressed out. I was working late. I just needed to, I needed to get up to speed where I could actually, where I could deliver on 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 what was asked of me, type of thing. Yeah, imposter syndrome, is something I experienced definitely, and I know a lot of other people experience the same thing. Can you share what that felt like, and how you maybe overcame it? Yeah, to overcome, I mean, the only thing is time for me. Um, it just takes, it takes time to kind of know people on a person, maybe, yeah, maybe kind of know people on a personal level, you know, like Mm. you need to realize that everyone, everyone's kind of in it together type thing. Um, yeah. And what it feels like is it's just kind of, it sucks. You're, you're there and you feel like you're you're not worthy. You might not. It's kind of like a, it's like, it's like you, you have, you have the job interview and you might have that imposter, imposter syndrome in the job interview where you're questioning. It's not necessarily where you think like, I don't belong here. It's, I might not belong here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the interview spreads itself over the entire first section of this job. You know, you're, you've had this interview where the entire point of an interview is to decide if you belong there or not, you know? And people are humming and hawing and, hmm, yeah, and asking you questions and blah, blah, blah. And it's this whole song and dance. And all you're trying to do is convince people that you belong there and that you, you, you can do this job. But that doesn't just end after the interview. It's not just like magic, like, oh, wow, you got through this one hour thing. Guess you just belong here. Like, no, that's, that is a thing that is going to bleed into the first possibly six months of your, of this new job. And I had that at all of my previous mm-hmm. jobs, not just Misty West. I mean, maybe, maybe less so at the automation, sawmill automation company. Um, just because I had friends there that were in the exact same boat as me. Yeah. It's, it sounds like very uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I think for me, that's one of the main, one of the main things when you meet people, they kind of put their the foot they put forward is is the one showing showing you their abilities of what they can do kind of you know especially when you work for a consulting company you meet clients and you want to you want to tell them what you're capable of the same thing the same foot you put forward in an interview um and and in an engineering company that that can happen as well you know that that totally totally bleeds into into the work culture, you know, what do you talk about? You're, you're meeting some new people. What's the thing, thing you have in common? Well, it's engineering. So, right. They're going to start talking about engineering, but now once later, maybe they'll start talking about their personal lives or what they do for hobbies. And you kind of get that going and you connect on like a more, a more human 
kind of natural level maybe. Um, and do you feel you're able to get that level of connection, friendship with the people you worked with at all of your jobs? Um, so uh, Misty West was very special hmm. in the context of in the context of uh, friendship personally for me. Um, like, yeah, I met that one, you know, the one guy I did the project with the first company and I, I don't really keep in contact with anyone from the second company except for my people that I was always friends with. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah. How do you think that changed the way you worked? Well, it can make things a little bit more complicated. That's for sure. You know, when you're, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's better or worse, but when you're working with some somebody and shit's actually like just going like it's melting, you're like it's not. You have a friendship to preserve as well. You know, it's not just someone that you work with. And uh, I think there can be a lot of synergy, like especially if everyone if everyone gets along and if everyone's actually like real friends. I guess it's a double edged sword. But I mean, if you if you get pissed at someone and then. You're hanging out later. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Can you describe a little bit about what your transition into Oculus was like from Misty West? Like what prompted you to, to move on? Yeah, absolutely. So we worked, Misty West worked with a client um, that worked for a large, um, a large tech company that you've heard of before. Um, and on the, on the client side, there was a mechanical engineer um, who when we were actually working with them transitioned over to, over to Oculus. And, uh, he, I wasn't actually looking for work at the time, but he, he reached out to me. I'll always, you know, if anyone reaches out to me, once you get the interview, I, I'll always take the interview. Um, right. Cause the worst thing, worst case scenario, you don't get the job offer and best case scenario you have, basically you have an option, right? You have a decision to make. So I, uh, I got on the call with, with not him, but my, my current boss. And, uh, I basically, basically got an interview and they, it was a, it was an interview with like six people, but in, in series. Um, so it was a whole day thing. And I ended up driving an Evo down, which was a, a car share <laughs> program. I heard, that, I heard you learned a big lesson on that. Yeah, show. that we have. <laughs> yeah, it's a car share program we have in Vancouver. And they woke me up at 8.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm like, oh, crap, was my interview at 8.30? Who would be calling me? And I picked it up, and it's Evo telling me that their cars aren't insured in the U.S. <laughs> So you're down in the States, already nervous about this big interview that you have, a whole day yeah. of interviews. And on top of that, you've just been told that the car you drove four hours into the States with is, yeah. is not insured. Yeah, not insured. And I gave them the stupidest reply ever. I think I said, but I have an interview with Oculus. <laughs> and the like person on the phone was like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, uh, They're like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, I, I guess you could... Do your interview because they're like come straight home don't stop for anything i'm like thank you i'm really glad it took you guys 24 hours <laughs> to figure out that i'm in the u.s and then alert me that i don't have this car is uninsured um and uh yeah and they're like oh okay well we'll do your interview and then come straight home <laughs> straight back <laughs> she was mind the entire day i bet like uh one thing oh. after another. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the interviews for those big companies are just grueling, right? It's a whole day of nonstop people, like, let's do the whiteboard. Mm. It's like, draw code, draw circuits, do this, do that. Hard questions, too. I Yeah. And, uh, yeah, once in a while, you kind of get kind of get a job offer that you can't you can't really turn down. And I mean, even, even if you do turn it down, you'll be sitting around for the rest of your life wondering what it was going to be like. <laughs> right? So you got the job. Yeah, I got the job. Oh, now we're getting to the good part. <laughs> <laughs> the, and at this time, COVID wasn't even a word. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was late 2019. And actually, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, 
you know, uh, I think it was December or November 2019. Yeah, so I, I accepted the job and I took a month off. I took a month and a half off, actually, and I, a kind of weird side tangent, I started developing my own my own MMO um, in the, the Rust programming language. Um, for those people who don't know, it's like a, it's a systems programming language that's like very new. It was developed at Mozilla, but is now um, an open source, uh, basically maintained by the Rust Foundation, which was recently formed. Um, very badass programming language. But um, so, yeah, I, I kind of took a month off and I was just chilling and making this game. And um, and then I they they were processing my my visa because I graduate at this point, I actually graduated from my so up until now in the story yeah, so you'd be doing part-time school up until yeah, that part time school. that you started taking classes again at bcit to upgrade your degree to an engineering degree yeah upgrade my two-year diploma to an engineering degree okay so you'd finished that took a month and a half off to work on some fun projects yeah and then make the big move yeah and covid at this time covid is the thing that um it's starting to happen in in asia basically mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I guess people didn't really take it seriously yet. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's two days of onboarding and then they gave me a place to stay for a month. Um, corporate housing, they called it, um, which makes it sound like a dorm, but it was just an apartment and I'm in the office for two weeks. Um, and then there's a COVID outbreak, (laughs) And they're like, okay, COVID's a real thing. Time to make everybody work from home. Yeah. So you barely got started before having to, yeah. to go remote. Yeah, barely. And then I was working remote from the U.S. in a new country and I was totally alone, <laughs> which is like the sad part of the story. I'm No, it's it's not sad. Like, I'm I'm fine. I had an incredible, have an incredible opportunity, but... Um, you know, moving to a new place and not knowing anybody and then having to go full mm-hmm. remote is definitely kind of a weird thing. But everyone was remote. Everyone was kind of alone. Like at that time, nobody was, everything was fully shut down. So, you know. I've got to do a temperature check because you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier. Yeah. And that it was a part of the previous roles you had. Given that you had such a unique onboarding experience with Facebook being you're in this new country, you're on your own, but now two weeks into it, everything and everyone gets shaken up. What's that experience like? And do you experience a level of imposter syndrome as you were starting into your role? Um, I think my, my experiences at Misty West gave me, made me, made me quite confident in, in my abilities. Um, and and basically, uh, you know, engineering and whatnot. So there definitely was an initial, uh, like, holy shit, do I belong here? But it wasn't at the time. It wasn't nearly as strong as um, as when I started at Misty West. Yeah, a lot of the yeah, a lot of the tasks. You know, I was uh, kind of assigned at at Oculus. I I felt more more than equipped to kind of kind of handle them. Did and this sounds like this role was perfectly aligned to, you know, going back to the reason you started university, those core interests in embedded coding and in programming and in robotics. Um, what did it feel like getting that job? That I th- I think sounds like it's it's the perfect combination of things you've been working towards. I mean, it was definitely yeah, it was very rewarding having being able to work on, yeah, being able to work on this, this, this crazy breakthrough technology. Um, and, it, and thank you for sharing that, the journey there. Yeah. You d- definitely did not take a straight line to where you got to now and had twists and turns along the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's no, yeah, there's no path. You know, the path is the path is what you make of it. And basically what it comes down to is timing and people. Mm-hmm. You know, are you in the right place at the right time? Are you trying to buy a hack RF1 off of Craigslist? And I mean, one thing I can say is working in a consulting firm is just incredible experience. Work experience and p- 
people experience. Like you'll meet, a, if you work for a consulting firm that, you know, you'll meet tons of people. Mm-hmm. You'll meet tons of, tons of interesting people and make, make a, make a ton of connections. It, you, you started this conversation mentioning connections being the biggest thing that's helped guide you through your career. And I think your story highlights that completely. Your job uh, in the, at, the, at the sawmill automation company, really just because of the people you went to school with who ended up becoming your roommates mm. and you know the friendship there, um, to getting this job with Oculus, having an, an old client reach out to you out of, out of nowhere um, with this new opportunity. It seems like both of those, um, and even Misty West at some regard, this thing that you found on Craigslist randomly, all were not planned out. It wasn't a path that you had tried to, to make for yourself or um, you know, tried to, to do the right projects, to impress the right people, to get the right job. It seems like these things just came out of nowhere. Yeah. No, it was random for sure. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I can't really say much. It pretty much sums it up perfectly. Which I think is quite interesting because talking to a lot of people and everyone might have an idea of what their dream job is or what they would love to do. And there's this big question of how do you get there? What are the things you need to do to make that happen? And what I love about your story is that uh, you you a couple of things. One is that there was no straight line path there that it was all these really random things and connections and chances that you ended up taking because leaving a job to take a new job um, is a chance. You don't know if this is going to work out. You don't know if you're going to learn here. You don't know if it's going to, to be a good fit. And it seems like every step along the way was all a chance that you took. Chances that you're taking based on these connections with people you have. But then there's also this thing that it seems to be a common thread and it's something that I've admired about you and, and looked up to you through the time I've, I've known you is your passion and your ability to just have all these projects on the go and really just work on what you love working on. And it seems like that combination of having those personal projects, honing your skills, being interested in something alongside knowing that, um, you know, you didn't know where you were going to be next. You didn't know how you were going to get there. But when opportunities came up, you were you were prepared in some way. You sort of had had these skills that you developed. What do you think? What drives you to work on these personal projects? Because I think that's a big aspect of who you are and how you've gotten to where you are now. Oh, man, you're being too nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it just comes down to like a fundamental desire to build things. Like I've always, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to create, create stuff. And I think some of that might, might come from, um, you know, the, the, the creativity and like, as I was talking about the photography stuff, possibly, um, just, uh, yeah, just wanting to, just wanting to build something and have, have something that's, you know, you know, mine, something mm-hmm. that have, have control of your, have control of your own, you know, your own path, right? You can have, you work for a company and they'll tell you to build something and yeah, okay, you have control over certain things, but you don't, you definitely don't have control over all of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I see other people, I see other people on the internet build stuff. Um, and for me, it's, you know, I can watch TV or I can play video games or I can build something that might might make a difference, might make people stoked, you know, might teach me a thing or two. And I guess for me, the the decision's obvious. And I just I just love I just love building shit. That's yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> From what I know of you and hearing you talk about it, there's a very deep, genuine level of interest in the stuff that you're working on, and something that I think is is rare in at least in my journey and a lot of people I know is being able to seek purpose and find purpose and passion in just working on those projects they don't need to be for any reason it seems like you're you're fulfilled by just working on cool stuff that as you put it 
has value to, to somebody and might have value to somebody. Totally, which is the to- which is the complete opposite of what a business should <laughs> ever be. And maybe that's why nothing I've ever made actually makes me any money. But, you know, like, um, yeah, I guess exactly what you just said. I- so looking back at your full journey, what do you think were the, the biggest lessons you, you took away from it? And, and how has this journey shaped you in the way that, uh, you know, your approach work now, your mindset? What have you taken away? I mean, the biggest thing is like when you go to school, make sure that you're like partying a lot and socializing with people, you know, it's super fun to sit in your room alone and just study all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But like you're, when you go to school, you want to make, you want to make connections, Mm -hmm. right? You want to, you want to A, because it's fun to have friends, (laughs) which but I, I mean, B, like you, you'll never know who, who might be able to get you a job or who you might be able to get a job or who wants to start a company or, you know, yeah. And find people that are, find people that are stoked, you know, like the, the projects that I've, um, succeeded the most in, in, in my, my, um, my vision would be the, the paging company which the, the restaurant pager, um, which was with another, the friend that I was talking about earlier, um, and the, the synth stuff that we worked on together, um, right? Like when you have someone out, for me personally, when you have someone else working on a project with you and you can share that, that, uh, that joy and, and kind of passion and just get each other stoked on it, you'll both remain kind of both or you know, more than mm-hmm. two people remain motivated to work on, work on it. Um, and the biggest thing for me, like if I, you know, I have friends and I'm always kind of like, Hey, like, you know, we should maybe work on this thing together. Like, are you interested in something like this? And people are always, eh, you know, maybe like, and it ends up turning into a no or don't really want to spend time on it or whatever. But for me, like if some, if, if I have a friend that's like, let's work on this engineering thing, I'm immediately like, yep, let's go. I don't even care if it's a good idea because I know if I have one other person that's also stoked on the idea, then I'll be able to push that thing through to the end, um, and uh, basically cheers, cheers to cheers to that one in the end. So yeah, connections, I guess, is the answer to the question. <laughs> and it's, it sounds very much like have fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And well, and find out what you like in school. You know, like if you're super stoked, like I remember I took a sensors course. That was a crazy awesome course. I love sensors. And like interacting because it's basically like interacting with the real world through computers, basically. Right. Um, very loosely speaking. And that course was super, super hard for most people. And, um, for me, uh, it was very hard. It was very challenging, but I was also very, very passionate about what was going on. Um, and there's another course like PLC course, which is like programming PLCs. And I was not, I didn't like that course at all, but that was the easiest course according to everyone else. And I ended up getting the lowest mark in the class on the PLC course, highest mark in the class, census course. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you're not super stoked on a course, like, I mean, I don't know, don't, don't go crazy. You just gotta, you just gotta pass it. No one's going to look at your grades, but if you are, if you are stoked on something, figure out why you're stoked on it. Yeah. And you know, like drive that one out of the park and, and do some stuff on, on your own time and kind of reach out. I mean, like Hackaday is, is -hmm. a very good resource for people. Um, and for more software, the Y Combinator Hacker News and, you know, there's tons of people on YouTube, like Dave Jones, EEP Mm -hmm. blog and, um, you know, plethora of other people that are, you know, also stoked on this type of stuff. And yeah, just stay interested and keep fueling that in whatever way you can. Yeah, absolutely true for the university experience. It's a great opportunity to meet people and to find out what you like and what you don't like. There's a very, you know, there's a low risk to trying something that you might not like. But I think equally, you know, once once you're mid-career, the same, I think the same rules apply. You've got to stay interested. you got to stay um Got to keep having fun because if you're if you're not driven by uh, by something, you'll just end up taking the easy next step. Yeah, absolutely. And don't don't be afraid to change jobs. I've quit three jobs, and I liked all of them. If you hate your job, you should definitely quit. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I, think, you know, I think you said something really important there, which is, you know, for people who love their job, there's still a lot of value and opportunity in, in trying something else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you can always go back to your old job. It's kind of awkward, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're very, you're absolutely right. You're the best person to be taking your old job back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you've been doing it. Uh, what's next for you? So you seems like you've got a great job. What uh, what right now is on your on your uh, on your plate for projects? What are you most interested about? Oh, what am I? Okay, yeah, interested about. I guess we never we got we talked for an hour and twenty four minutes. We didn't even talk about cryptocurrencies. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I'm I've been stoked. I've been stoked about Ethereum since uh, the initial kind of big crash in uh, 2017, and so for me, I'm I'm stoked about Ethereum too. And we'll see we'll see how the scaling happens. Um, verifiable delay functions. I mean, I need to kind of read about what's even going on with those nowadays, but very cool pieces of hardware that can kind of force a mandatory time delay, um, which can be used in crypto. This spe- specifically they're using it for the Ethereum project, but um, you can use it for all sorts of like distributed databases or I guess like a, a DLT, like distributed ledger technologies um, to prevent like history rewrites, um, things like that. Um, the Rust programming language is like easily my favorite programming language in the world. Um, it's yeah, it's super cool. So anything that's going on with that, um, I'm stoked about, I'm stoked about Intel processors going away (laughs) to be honest with you. I'm stoked. I'm stoked that, uh, Apple built that M one. That's like three point something gigahertz. I didn't even know that was possible with an arm processor. Um, and even more than ARM, I'm stoked about RISC-V, uh, open source processor architecture, um, like power to the people. We're talking about possibly uh, actually being able to put metal um, processors in the hands of people that kind of didn't have bleeding edge processors before. Um, yeah, I guess for people that don't know, RISC-V is a kind of open source instruction set uh, as opposed to kind of ARM or Intel. Um, yeah, open source silicon. I think that'll be the next thing in the next 10 years. Hmm. Um, you know, 20 years ago, there was no possibility of a homebrew, you know, uh, kind of homebrew, uh, how do I say, like a hacker being able to make their own PCB. Nowadays, you can go to JLC or Oshpark and make your own PCB. I think 10 years from now, you're going to be able to make your own silicon. I got to ask, where do you... From what I know, and I think from what this conversation highlights, is that you go deep on a lot of different things: your cryptocurrency, firmware, like where? How do you how do you have time for all of these side projects? Like this is all in addition to your full time work. I don't know. I, I mean, I just I yeah. I don't know. I, I I read I read YouTube. I guess YouTube has a lot of really good information. Um, there's lots of people that, and YouTube's kind of also a kind of relaxing way for me to consume a lot of this. I find when I read, I end up kind of zoning out or just reading headlines and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I think there's a lot of really good YouTubers that talk about this, talk about this type of stuff. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing your, your journey and your story. I think it really highlighted the, the benefit of, of staying true to yourself, staying true to your passions and. Um, always being open to what may happen next because you yeah these chances that you took i think help build the foundation and building blocks for you to get to where you are today yeah yeah absolutely thanks for inviting me super fun i'll always take the opportunity to talk about myself (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if anyone listening would love to get in in touch if there's something that they want to hear more about or just to be able to network with you what's the best way to get in touch Honestly, old school email. I don't do Twitter. I don't do LinkedIn. Uh, I work for Facebook, but I don't really do Facebook. <laughs> um, also, uh, open source work. Uh, I usually just use GitHub for all of that stuff. So maybe we'll link that in the in the show notes below. Yep, absolutely. Sweet. It was a pleasure, Walker. Yeah. And thanks for being on. Yeah, man. Thanks. Absolutely. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the pilot episode of the Solve for Luck podcast. If you liked the episode and learned from our conversation today, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out directly with any feedback, suggestions, or comments you might have. Your input is incredibly valuable in helping create great content to support people growing their tech careers. And if this episode has brought you any kind of value to your journey, please share this episode with your friends and your network, and don't forget to subscribe. Solve for Luck is available on Spotify, Apple Music, and solveforluck.ca.